When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today we get to revisit a new friend who may become an old friend, uh, but never, he's, this company is definitely a friend of radical compliance. And I, of course, refer to 3M. Matt, why are you smiling so broadly today? 3M continues its difficult time with international trade compliance enforcement actions with its OFAC violation regarding sales to Iran and indeed a sanctioned entity of the Iranian government. Matt and Tom take a deep dive into this recent OFAC enforcement action, which provides numerous lessons for the trade compliance and anti-corruption compliance professional. I know you'll enjoy this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you've not done so, I hope you will leave us a review and subscribe to Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, this is Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we get to revisit a new friend who may become an old friend, uh, but never, he's, this company is definitely a friend of radical compliance. And I, of course, refer to 3M. Matt, why are you smiling so broadly today? Oh, well, because it is like having a good friend drop by for a second time, which I think is, in fact, the case, because I know, Tom, it was, what, two weeks ago, maybe three that we talked about the 3M FCPA enforcement action from the Securities and Exchange Commission. Well, now, today, we can talk about 3M and its sanctions settlement from the Treasury Department and the Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, uh, because the other week, uh, shortly after the company paid $6.5 million on the FCPA charges, it is now paying $9.6 million to settle charges that it violated sanctions uh, selling goods into Iran in the mid-2010s, back when, for a brief period, it was kind of sort of legal for U.S. companies and their subsidiaries to sell, but still, it all managed to go sideways. So I was, uh, we are going to have to go into the weeds on the facts of this, but uh, one, uh, I think that provides some great lessons learned, but it equally importantly, how controls can be circumvented if they're not monitored uh, going forward. So um, lots of hanky-panky, lots of shenanigans by the business unit uh, to get these sales done. Uh, But you want to start with uh, at the beginning and what were they going to try to do that was originally blessed by the general counsel and trade control? Yeah. So we have to remember the history here that in the mid 2010s, when the Obama administration in Europe struck the Iran nuclear deal, um, it was under certain circumstances permissible for the foreign subsidiaries of U.S. companies to sell certain goods into Iran, um, provided they were not selling to sanctioned entities. A very narrow needle of thread, but it could be threaded. 
And so 3M uh, had its Gulf operations, known as 3M Gulf, according to OFAC. They obtained the necessary license, a general license H, and that would have given them the permission to sell certain goods into Iran. And so they decided that they were going to sell the reflective sheeting for license plates to a German reseller who would then sell finished reflective license plates, not just the sheeting, uh, to, they would sell blank license plates to Iranian customers. And that was going to be the arrangement, which was blessed by the 3M had the license to do this. 3M Gulf had the permission to do this. 3M East, which is another subsidiary of 3M in Switzerland, was collaborating with this deal. The German reseller said that they would only be selling the finished blank products to Iran and not to a sanctioned entity. And everything looked good. And this actually squared with a trade compliance policy that 3M had developed, and they had a trade compliance officer review it. Everything looked really good. And then in early 2016, that was going to be the plan. And then somehow it winds up that the German reseller was just going to sell the sheeting directly into Iran, which was not the original agreement. And they were not going to sell it to non-sanctioned entities. They were going to sell it, these are license plates, they're going to sell it to a transportation and transit authority, which was actually under the control of Iranian law enforcement, who are and were under uh, sanctions by the United States, even with this agreement. You still couldn't sell to them, no matter who you were or what license you had in any way, shape, or form, but they were going to sell that way. And uh, these changes were not ran by, uh, run by a second time the, the 3M Trade Council, who had originally blessed the first arrangement. Then they switched everything up and they hid it from the Trade Compliance Council, and then they did it. And that became the violation, even under the terms of the um, Iran sanctions agreement, alleviation, the nuclear deal, whatever you want to call it, that was in force at the time. Uh, the Paris Accords, I think. Paris Accords. Thank you. And yeah, and we should note that all of this is now a moment in time, because when the Trump administration came in, they scrapped the whole accords anyways. And so now we're back to you can't sell to Iran, period, no matter what. But for that brief time, they could have. And they were trying to do the right thing, and yet still, it all went sideways, as I had mentioned earlier. So the um, at this point, uh, the thing that struck me the most was the change in end user, and the failure of the local front line to have end user statements or other any other indicia of who was getting the product sold to the German agent or German reseller. But I have to put that, Matt, back on the compliance function for not monitoring that that situation more, more carefully. And you can say, well, Tom, they could certainly send out goods and, and not know it, or excuse me, that the uh, compliance function wouldn't know they were going to a sanctioned entity. But that's where the end user statements are so critical. If you don't get an end user statement, uh, your transaction is not fully completed under U.S. export control law. So the... Um, the need for any type of monitoring, whether it's a handwritten user statement or something even more sophisticated, uh, really showed how all of this could could fall apart. But then there was a switch to 3M East. And yes. what was the trouble with or, or what issues did that 
raise when they went from 3M Gulf to 3M East? Uh, the issue was that they weren't supposed to do that. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, the designated subsidiary of 3M to sell goods into Iran was the office based in Dubai, known as 3M Gulf. And that was the foreign subsidiary that had the license or the authority under General License H, which was the license that U.S. companies had to get or multinationals. Um, and it was quite clear that this was going to be something done by 3M Gulf. And then at some point, the 3M Gulf people wound up giving this deal over to 3M East. I am not entirely clear on if 3M East ran the entire thing or they were doing it in close collaboration with 3M Gulf. It's kind of a distinction that makes 3M East was not supposed to, Gulf was supposed to be doing it. That was the terms of the, the license and they weren't doing it. Um, but what then ultimately happened was that there were numerous executives at 3M East and 3M Gulf who were deliberately conspiring to deceive the Trade Compliance Council back in the United States and to hide from the trade compliance team that this was happening. Um, that, you know, it points to a larger question that OFAC had raised in its settlement documents is that on one hand, 3M did have a risk-based trade compliance program. It understood that selling to Iran was going to be a big deal and you had to calibrate things very closely. And so they tried to do that and they actually won points from OFAC for trying. They had a risk-based program in place, which is more than we could say for some companies on this podcast. Um, but on the other hand, the risk-based program did not work because there were numerous points within the whole enterprise in 3M East and 3M Gulf who were deliberately trying to deceive uh, the trade compliance team and headquarters. Uh, to make matters even worse, at least one employee who was involved with this, uh, who was working for 3M Gulf at the time, was a U.S. person. That's how he or she is described. I'm not entirely clear. Does that mean they were a citizen? Does that mean that they were a resident or you know, what? Or they, they should have known better. They should not have been involved in this at all. U.S. persons are not allowed to be involved in these transactions full stop. But this one was. Um, and this person also received some of his or her incentive-based compensation in 2017 and I think 2018 based on some of the sales that 3M was making by selling the license plates into Iran or the license plate reflective sheeting, not license plate. Uh, but none of that should have happened. And so, you know, like unclear on why did the U.S. person not bring this up? Um, did he or she know that they shouldn't have been involved in this, no matter what was or wasn't permissible? Um, so there's a lot of like just unflattering facts that cast a tarnishing light on that original statement from OFAC that, hey, 3M, good for you. You had a risk-based compliance program. Here's all the ways it didn't work. So you still wound up with a very egregious, um, and that is a technical term for OFAC and sanctions violations. It is an egregious or non-egregious violation. This was an egregious violation. So the pet suddenly become much more serious and larger. Matt, I was not able to determine from the OFAC uh, settlement document the basis of the fine of 
$9,618,477. Were you able to have any insight as to whether that was based on profit, whether that was based on number of violations under some formula, any idea where that might have come from? Uh, So there were 43 violations in total. And the statutory maximum for this sort of offense would have been $27 million. Typically, OFAC does a calculation that, if I'm remembering correctly, it is up to, for a non-egregious violation, it's up to half of the amount of money that was at stake. And you are correct that this actually, that this calculation was not clear in this settlement. And to be, let's back up for a moment. This is an egregious violation the one half of the total amount you got, that's for non-egregious. So it doesn't apply here. Um, somehow they went from the statutory maximum of 27 million down to one third of that amount of only 9 million. Um, they did, like I said, they gave 3M some you know, rewarding, mitigating factors uh, on a couple of different points. Having a risk-based compliance program being one, there were a few others, we can talk about that. A few other undertakings that 3M is going to have to do. But Tom, you know what's the actual equation that gets us from twenty-seven million down to nine? I don't know that either. I guess it's it's OFAC magic of some kind that that eludes me. And it appears 3M self-disclosed uh, these violations. Uh, did I read yeah. that correctly? Yeah, and that was another big point in 3M's favor. This all came to light once the Trump administration did pull out of the Paris Accords and these general H licenses were going to be terminated. So 3M started winding down all of its transactions with Iran. And that's when they found out like, oh, crap, we've been doing this against our original terms. And so they voluntarily self-disclosed that. And that has um, apparently was very impressive to uh, OFAC. They called it out in numerous points, the importance of voluntary self-disclosure. In the same way that it can be egregious or non-egregious, and you get various levels of penalty there, it can be a voluntary self-disclosure or a case that comes to OFAC's attention by other means. And if it's the latter, that's not good. Um, So they kind of split the difference here that it was voluntary self-disclosure, great, egregious violation, not great, and that winds up with the $9 million penalty. I guess, Matt, for myself, some of the lessons include, as I mentioned, ongoing monitoring uh, by the compliance with, by the business unit with what they have told the compliance team they're going to do. But also, uh, you hit on this, this was obviously a high-risk proposition, even with the Paris Accords in place, um, and obviously, or, and when the Trump administration came in, it was pretty clear he was going to shut this down, or at least there was a high risk of that. So I would have uh, expected greater monitoring of this potential high risk endeavor uh, beyond, above and beyond even the routine monitoring. So perhaps that would be a lesson that a compliance professional could draw. Any key lessons you uh, took away from this? Well, we can definitely talk about some of the other remedial measures that uh, oh, that 3M either had undertaken or has promised to undertake. Um, they did fire and reprimand a bunch of people who were involved in this. Uh, they have hired more trade compliance personnel, both in the United States and in the Middle East. Um, they have added a new policy that Trade Compliance Council must re-review any proposal that had been changed uh, 
um, which would have had that been in place, at least in theory, that would have caught this. Although, given that the employees were deliberately deceiving uh, 3M, I'm not entirely sure how that would have worked. But it's good to have the policy in place and make it clear. Um, they had introduced enhanced due diligence for any business that involves a sanctioned country or a high-risk country. So that certainly is not going to hurt either. Um, so there were a lot of things that, you know, frankly, OFAC has talked about this in generalities before. I think it was in 2018 or 19, OFAC had published its own guidance for an effective sanctions compliance program where OFAC talked at length about sanctions compliance is hard. And you need trained people to do this. And they need to have a very centralized structure. It's not at all acceptable for a sanctions compliance person in the business unit in the emerging market to then report into a legal person who reports into a general manager at the business unit. None of that. It's got to be a centralized, enterprise-wide sanctions compliance team staffed with actual sanctions compliance experts. Um, you know, talking about enhanced due, due diligence, that is also something in the OFAC guidance that they stress the importance of actual technology that is calibrated the right way to be able to catch um, sanctioned entities and the fact that that changes almost every day in the United States. Somebody's coming on or moving off of the entity's list. Um, they go into a lot more detail than the Justice Department does with FCPA compliance programs. So all of it is it surprising? Not really to those of us who have watched this closely. Is it still a good case to watch? Because, um, you know, it's a very good, vivid example of what sanctions compliance looks like and how you can trip up even if you have a sanctions program. Yes, it is. And so given the heightened enforcement climate that we have these days around sanctions compliance, um, I think that this is a good and timely example for all of us to sit back and study if sanctions compliance is on your radar. And it should be, and that blip on the radar should be getting brighter and louder by the day. So Matt, um, it's going to be interesting to see what 3M comes up with for us next. <laughs> One hopes they'll take a break and I wish them well. In fact, we should say both of the, the FCPA issue and the sanctions issue both happened at relatively the same time. And it looks like both of them came to light at relatively the same time, we might as well give uh, 3M corporate uh, some kudos for, they voluntarily self-reported both of these things. And you know they've gotten more favorable resolutions than they would have otherwise. So it is unfortunate that they had two black eyes happen at once, but they did respond in the right way when these black eyes happened. On the other hand, things come in threes. So who knows? Maybe there's going to be a third thing coming and we'll be back in two more weeks. Well, uh, it may be a little bit of, out of our normal territory, but they are getting ready to settle a massive class action lawsuit around failure of air protections for uh, U.S. troops in the Gulf Wars uh, starting in the 90s coming forward. And that will be a multi-billion dollar settlement. So uh, perhaps there was heightened awareness in uh, the legal department. Uh, to look at all issues because of that ongoing litigation. But I suspect that will be the next big one from 3M. Well, we'll see. Well, Matt, as always, great fun. I can't wait to see what next week brings us. Thanks, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's blog posts on this topic 
in the show notes. I hope you will check out the blog post for more information. I also hope you will listen to some of the new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We premiered a podcast uh, with Richard Blundell on sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century, Fox on podcasting, where I take a meta look at podcasting, and compliance and AI. We are also developing some additional new shows, which will premiere in July. It's quite an exciting time on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.